Kiki here. And Alex. Today we're discussing one of the breakout hits from Edinburgh Fringe 2023. Kyla Stroud joins us to talk about Public, their musical about four strangers stuck in a public toilet. How their experience in lockdown inspired them to write their first musical. And why we all need a musical with kindness and compassion in our lives. Welcome to Making Making a a Musical, musical, the future of British musical musical theatre. I went up to Edinburgh this year to go to the Fringe Festival and was able to see Public the Musical at Pleasance, which was phenomenal. And we have Kyla Stroud with us, who has written and composed and performance directed and co-produced. That's a long list of things. I mean, I feel like, you know, that like Master of None is probably what I would go with. And also... Um, you end up doing a lot when you have no money. <laughs> I, I get it. I think that's the fringe for you as well, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got Public the Musical. What is this show about? Public the Musical is a one-hour real-time musical about four strangers who get trapped together in a gender-neutral public toilet for one hour. Um, and this is a show, uh, Unlike others with with major plot points and uh, and story arcs, well, no story arcs, yes, but um, this is very simply about the need for compassion and kindness uh, between human beings that are from very different walks of life, and uh, and the power in that. You know, we we follow four very different people. Um, and how they deal with being in quite an intense situation in a very small space and what happens when you know those conversations start they can be sticky they can be awkward but there can also be some real enlightening and like lovely moments where we wouldn't normally be in the position to do that with people that we would rather avoid that's what the show's about (laughs) (laughs) and that is what we got in Edinburgh as well like you summed it up brilliantly who are these characters then like where where were they born so um when I came up with the initial concept for the show uh that was what I had I had the the real what I just said to you was what I had I wanted it to be you know um these characters weren't massively developed all I knew was what their names were and uh their stereotypes i suppose so i knew i wanted someone that was going to represent uh toxic masculinity in the world and someone that was going to put in um the slightly more problematic in our like modern day society like what i think uh anyone that's consi- considers considers themselves slightly more on the like woke side of um of uh, modern living like that person would maybe not sit quite right with you and this was the character Andrew um however knew from the start like there was going to be moments of my dad in there <laughs> there was going to be moments of Andrew's probably the most relatable for most people because I think we all know an Andrew um he's not ill-intentioned in any way he just is quite ignorant and he hasn't grown up around a lot of difference and a lot of diversity. And so he is struggling with the effects of that. Um, and it does mean that he he has problematic views on the world still. Um, so he was one character 
um, there was always going to be like a polar opposite, which was Zoe, who is this Gen Z um, activist, feminist, like this very opinionated late teen, early 20s character who also is um, what I would say is one of the most interesting characters because on paper they get everything right in the sense of how they look at the world. What they are always getting wrong is how they communicate that. Um, they spend a lot of their time pointing fingers and um, getting angry um, where, I, and I think as as uh, someone who's, who's done that a lot, especially with my parents, um, I knew the power of like putting, well, I hoped I knew the power of putting that character in there and showing that that can also be problematic, like to have that kind of harsh approach to saying the right thing, because it means that people get defensive and they shut off. And if you want to say something that really connects and that people want to learn from, sometimes you do have to say it in a language that they can understand. That was Zoe. Um, then there's lovely Laura, who is our non-binary um, like hard worker who very much like fits into this uh, this people pleaser bracket um, is kind of the first to sort of put other people before themselves in every sense when it comes to like, if my feelings make someone else uncomfortable, then I'll suppress that for other people. Um, but there, uh, I think it was always a choice to make them probably the most likable and the most um, compassionate in the space to be like, we don't always have to paint the queer young character as um, aggressive or as, you know, um, particularly woke, like, because I know I have plenty of friends who are super introverted and would much rather like their queerness not be what identifies them, like what is, you know, and yes, it is a massive part of who Laura is, but like Laura's queerness and this has always been like it's it's part of the show is that you know there's so much more than that and then lastly we have Finley who is a gay man um in his early 20s who uh suffers with quite severe panic disorder um, and general anxiety disorder uh I think this is something most of us can relate to coming out of the pandemic you know, we've people that have never experienced anxiety before, I think exper experienced it in different ways for the first time. Um, I actually, the reason I wrote this show is because I was coming out of like about a really serious panic disorder. Anyone in the situation where they're trapped in a space would struggle, but you put someone who automatically goes into fight or flight in that space and like, you know, they're in survival mode. And I think a lot of people shy away from talking. They We talk about mental health in a very specific light. It's often related around depression. It's often related around sadness or or um, social anxiety. And there's a, there's a whole lot, there's a big old world that we don't delve into a lot because people I think are afraid of, like someone having a panic attack can be scary. Like you don't know if you're, if, if you don't know what a panic attack is, you'd probably be close to calling an ambulance for someone that's having a panic attack, depending on how, how it like shows itself. Um, I definitely felt like that for a while. And like, I didn't know if I was panicking or if I was dying. Um, and yeah, so this character is also 
because of that, he has a big old wall up and he's maybe comes across as a little bit standoffish, a little bit rude, um, but he's also really vulnerable and very, very intuitive with these other characters about like when they need space, when they need care and because he's always looking at it as a threat and he's always thinking, okay, how do I make this space the safest it can be for me? Mm. Um, so yeah, they they all had a purpose to be in that room. It took us a while to really, we st- I mean, we're still developing them now, you know, but I think they're four really interesting characters and four characters that you really grow to to like a lot throughout the, um, the hour. They're also four very real people in the sense that they make a lot of mistakes they're problematic in a lot of ways but there's also goodness in all of them as well which i think is us as human beings so minute by minute is the first (laughs) song in the show it sort of sets up um the setting uh how did you was it the first song you wrote how did did it come about yeah so that's um that literally is how i started the show (laughs) is i i had the very like the first idea that it was going to be four people trapped in a public toilet. I actually had a song in my catalogue already that um, like as a singer songwriter that I wasn't a massive fan of as it was. Um, but there was always a part of it. It had this line in it. It wasn't even called minute by minute. It was called piece by piece. Um, and I was thinking about how these characters were going to be trapped for an hour and like minute by minute, how you're like, you do just want that time to pass. I was like, maybe that is... A, a decent enough premise for a song and I just started just started <laughs> writing and that's kind of how I often when people say like oh what came first lyrics music blah blah, blah. I don't really work like that I, I go I'm very feel based when it comes to music a lot of the time it will come at the same time so I'll be writing and a melody will just come into my head as I'm like I'll play some chords and the melody will come and often I'll hear the words that are supposed to go over that. Like, and I just move forward like that. And some, sometimes a song will take half missing pieces took me about half an hour to write. Whereas minute by minute probably took the day, you know, because it had all counterparts and all of that sort of stuff. I wanted it to be this first opening, like real punchy number that made you feel like it put all that angst into a song. And like, I wanted it to be the four of them, I am big I'm a big harmony lover like always have been so I wanted it to be straight away I was like we're not gonna like build into this we're gonna hit people with like this is what this show is straight away and it's rock pop which once again kind of confused me because I come from kind of an Americana background I do have a lot of pop in me but um the song writing that first song literally set what the show was going to be and what the musical style was going to be and what the energy was going to be every everything um I don't know it was very it was very serendipitous and like spontaneous but yeah I I, I love it I like that's probably still my my favorite song in the show tick by tick minute by minute my nightmare and I'm stuck in it this is some paradigm how do I get out this time Bit by bit, the cracking is showing. Tick by tick, the pressure is growing. Won't make it all go faster, otherwise disaster. I don't think that we're gonna last another minute by minute. Trying not to listen to the shit that they say. Oh, don't give ammunition and they might back away. 
So I think what surprised me um, hearing the demos for this show the first time is it's a very singer-songwriter vibe. And of course, that's your background. So now that I know that, it's it's less of a surprise. But um, tell us about how you uh, settled on that as the style. Obviously, you said that's the first song you wrote. That then, then kind of set things. But what? how did you know that was the right way to do it? Well... I knew I was writing it and that's how I write. <laughs> so that was, I, was, I don't think I would have been able to do it any other way. Saying that, um, before public, I knew I wanted to try my hand at writing a musical and I was actually going to try and write something. I had another idea for another show that was going to be a lot more traditional and I thought I was going to have to write it in a much more traditional sense, um, which is interesting. And I've come to realise that about, well, anything in life, you always think you have to fit someone else's set of rules or someone else's plan to make it work like oh you know six worked how did they do that Mm. I should do it like they did it and it's or you know and vice when I was in the music industry oh what did Ed Sheeran do that made him successful but like it's just not it's just not real it's not real you can't follow anyone else's set of rules you have to do um you have to do you the reason it kind of had a nice little crossover into theatre is because the the style of singer-songwriter I am and what I'm interested in doing is telling a story and it's why I've always sat in more of like, yes, it's been very pop, but there's always been like an Americana kind of country edge to it because I, I am a storyteller and I my imagination's always been my tool instead of writing autobiographically all the time. Like I, I like to make stuff up and I like to or observe and you know be like okay well what's exciting like and what's not been done and who could they be like that that makes me excited walk us then through the process right so you've got the concept you've got some music but now you've got you know a fairly sizable team or of collaborators how did you start layering each of those people on so like I said when I after I had minute by minute and I had the basic concept I was like, okay, what do I do next? I tell you what else I had. I applied. I'm, I'm a grasshopper brain. I will be able to jump from A to Z like within an instant, and I'll put the work in. Like when I came up with public, I had the website, the Stroud Notes website, yeah, the songs, all within the first couple of days of doing it because that's the speed like that my brain works. It will then burn out. Like don't get me wrong. And I knew that about myself. And I was like, I have all these ideas. I have this energy to do it now. I'm not going to be able to sustain it. I also don't have the experience in this industry. Who do I know that I could maybe just pick the brain of to say, is this worth me looking at? Like, can I even do this? And um, I went to stagecoach when I was a teenager. There was a 
group of like 30 of us. Someone that was a couple of years younger than me was a, a young person called Hannah Sands, who I didn't really know of, um, but was always kind of like, they were always around. And then as I became an adult, they started coming to my gigs because they were also queer and they were like, oh, cool, a queer singer song. I remember you. Hannah will probably vouch for this, but like, I wouldn't have said we were mates. They just used to come to some of my gigs and I'd be like, they'd say, oh, you probably don't remember me. I go, yeah, I do remember you. Ish. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're a teenager, you don't speak to people in different years. It's a, it's a, it's a different world. Yeah. Um, however, we were friends on Facebook and I saw that they'd recently been working on Bloody L, which was a queer one person musical. Um, and that was probably the only person I knew that was working in musicals that wasn't, um, well, my mum my used to do musicals in town so you know that wasn't like a massive deal that isn't going to go for coffee with me um so I reached out to Hannah and was like look I see you've worked on this did a bit of research looked like had a little stalk of the show and was like this is cool what was your involvement would you be up for going for a coffee I've got this idea for a show I don't know if it's got any legs to it and they were like yeah absolutely I'd love to we went for coffee I, t I played them the song told them a bit about it they were like I love it um, yeah, I definitely think there's legs to it. I also, I, and then when they left, they wrote me this message being like, look, I don't want to be too forward, but this is what I do. I, I call myself a theater maker. So my kind of role would be to like, help you make what you want to happen a reality and in whatever capacity that may be, I can be as involved as you like. I said to them there and then like, I don't have any money. Why? Why would you do that? And they were like, yeah, because I believe in it and I want to invest in it and I want to, you know, put some time into it. I think we'd work really well together. Um, I still, once again, at the beginning, probably thought that was ridiculous. Why would anybody that doesn't actually like know me that well want to do that? But Hannah's one of those people and who, you know, will just put a lot of time into something because they really believe in it. Mm. And from that day, we were probably talking every day, like back and forth with voice notes and ideas. And we started applying. I'd I'd actually, before I spoke to Hannah, I'd applied to help musicians for their fusion fund, which is where you, if you want to do something outside of music, outside of your field um, with another creative. So whether that be a choreographer or a playwright or whatever, like they, they have this like funding pot so that you can try that. And I applied and I got it. I said to Hannah, let's do a five day song workshop where we can put a cast in the room. It will be my first chance to even see if this works with four people singing it. Um, and also we can, while we're doing music, you can start having a look at like maybe let's look at who these characters are, a bit of character development. Um, I have a twin sister who's a choreographer, um, movement director and uh, director for um, Amdram really. But then I've always believed they, you know, were fantastic. And I said, as soon as I started the, like with the idea, said to Nat, like, well, obviously I'm going to want you involved in it in whatever capacity. And um, so, yeah, that was the three of us. And then knew if we're doing a workshop, I don't play keys and I don't really know what it is to be a musical director. So I knew I had to bring someone on. I went to primary school with Olivia Zachariah. Um, once again, like four years younger than me, we didn't really know each other, but I'd always, our parents were friends. So I'd always kind of been aware of them. And I knew that they were like doing the circuit and I knew they were queer. Um, I reached out to a lot of MDs at that 
at that point but when me and Liv spoke on the phone something just clicked I was like they seem really cool like I think that we'll really get along and we do we work so well together like I'm pretty sure I'm ADHD I haven't ever been tested but I'm pretty sure I am like the fact that I can't let anyone finish a sentence um and Liv's the same we just talk over each other all the time but we're in the same brain so it it just works like I'll say can we try and she'll be like yeah and and it, and it ha- somehow there's an end result <laughs> like songs get made it was so weird um and then that was the four of us that was like the team going forward it was once again very sort of a bit of fate involved there that we'd met before um i with everything i've ever done in life i'm so people driven um i'm not really bothered by what someone's credits are um, it was helpful. Obviously, I knew I needed someone that was like knew how to be an MD. I knew Hannah like had some experience, but above anything else, I liked them as people. And I think what's really interesting, and in this in particular, is is the I think the unintentional curation you did in putting that team together. But I think what's really important is what whomever is doing whatever is making sure you're surrounded by people that understand that speak the same language and that are going to support you through it because at the Mm. end of the day as much as this is a business it's also a passion and a labor of love Mm. you know we're all wondering where the money's coming from so we all we all know this isn't we're not doing it for the money we're doing it because we love theater and we think musicals are an interesting way of telling stories so I, I really congratulate you for having that authenticity to put that team together that you felt was going to a best support you and b best support telling the story I think I learned the secret to life like going through what I went through in lockdown which was to be totally frank I lived in survival mode for like six months where I genuinely thought I I had health anxiety, panic disorder, general anxiety disorder. And I thought I was dying like every day. So my priorities took the biggest shift that they could take. I went from being in the music industry, like being signed to one of the biggest booking agencies, having a publishing deal. I went from that, but then also being realizing I was super unhappy and being like, okay, so, and that was me on this journey to, well, I'll be happy when I'm successful and that's how it, and that's how I'll get happy to then going through what I went through and just being like, well, I just want to find calm again and joy again. And I don't care about making any money. I want to get myself back because that's who I've, that's what I've lost. Like I've lost like the ability to just like live in calmness and writing this show gave me that and brought that back into my life again and I had no intention for it to be successful at all I had every intention to just get back to like happiness and and it did like the rehearsal room was a joy I didn't ever really believe that creativity um was like quite as emotionally driven as it hadn't ever been for me it was always quite um quite commercialized it in my mind I'd always seen my music career as a bit of a brand I'd always seen myself as a product because I'd always wanted that validation and that success whereas for this and I think the reason it's been successful is because it's come from such a genuine place and such an authentic place and every one of those people that has been involved in it so far whether that be cast or creative team 
like have known that and I've like drilled that in from the get-go to know like where it came from and and the importance that this show is about compassion and this show is about kindness because if we don't have it like people lose their mental health and if you don't have your mental health you don't have anything like and if it can become successful and I can become financially stable brilliant but that's not why I'm proud of this show you know so the second song nervous disposition I'm thinking (laughs) actually follows on really well from this so um tell us a bit about that and how um that came about so Finley was actually the last character to be made and I wasn't ever gonna put that character in there and it was actually that character was really developed with the whole team um I don't know why maybe it was too close to home at first um but I was also on universal credit throughout lockdown so and uh you see the show or you know the show like the reason that um this character goes into a spiral that then ends up in a panic attack which is the song um is because he can't get out to get to his job center appointment that often would result in people either having if you've had multiple like you would get a deduction in pay um obviously if you're living in london or which i think a lot of people had during covid if you fell between the gaps of like SCISS or which i did so um because i'd had a good earning year like the two years before i didn't get any um any uh self-employment payout from the government when we went into lockdown um i also was going through a panic disorder so i couldn't work um you know which is a bit of a foggy area where i know people have a lot of opinions and that's another reason I wanted to put that character in there was to be like there's a lot of judgment around people on universal credit there's a lot of judgment around um mental health and this character can sometimes read as well yeah they're like totally fine like why are they not going to work but then if you see him have a panic attack like you understand like oh that's no employer is gonna hire that like that's so um unreliable you know, and so this song is Nervous Disposition, but I'm it, it's called Nervous Disposition and it's him going through like the times in his life that he's, the anxiety's messed him up basically. My ex-boyfriend said I had Stick around to find out Guess I can't blame him now For not knowing how to be there To be honest and care And to love someone Used to fear the dark Now it's all that I know It's hard to find your spark When it's buried below This avalanche of panic That is ready to blow now I've got a bit of a nervous disposition But I'm working it Stick 
So going back to the development of how this piece has grown, you've got your team. We've identified how you've put that team together. Then what? Because we've got a couple of big milestones to hit to get to, you know, Edinburgh, which is when I saw it. So you've got your team. What's next? So I said the first thing I did was I got some funding. I knew I wanted to put a song sharing workshop in place. So I applied to like every artist residency that I knew that was on. When I say I didn't know there was any, so I Googled it. And one I found was Arts Depot, North Finchley. Um, Didn't even know they had a theatre in North Finchley, not going to lie. Saw that they had an artist residency that had opened up. I was like, I might as well apply literally I must have applied for maybe 10 15 different things didn't hear back from any apart from Arts Depot we had a zoom they were like I honestly didn't think that we'd get it they'd never done a musical before um and then we did so I was like great that it came with like 500 pounds worth of seed funding and space for a week which would have cost us two and a half grand maybe which we didn't have and all I knew is I had enough money to pay the cast like um so we had our first workshop that went that was last October 2022 so less than a year ago had a couple of industry folk that we invited um but mainly like friends family some people that we knew that worked in theatre just to give us a little bit of feedback and to know if it had any legs for continuing Mm -hmm. on with um while we were doing the uh the workshop maybe just before uh we then applied for Vault Festival which Hannah had um uh gone to like most years and said this would be a really great place for us to you know showcase the next point in the the show one thing to note at this point is we have constantly moved just by uh, on a step-by-step basis with this show because we are completely self-funded um and we have no money so self-funded is (laughs) we wait till we get funding then we do the next point I think we had major imposter syndrome in that first workshop so we didn't know it took us a while to to know for sure if like we could continue on with the project. Um, but when we got Vol and they were like, yeah, we really love it as a concept. We'd like to, we, they had a couple of the songs, please do come and put it on. We were like, okay, we've got our next step. Now we can aim at it. Let's apply for Arts Council funding, which we didn't get. Let's do a crowdfunder. Um, let's not pay ourselves, you know, the classics. Um, but we had the next, we had the next aim point. Um, and then during rehearsals for Vault, we were like, okay, this is going really well. We sold out our our two nights um, at Vault and 
it was a rehearsed reading. Um, no, it was a work in progress, but there were scripts on stage. However, the response was amazing. Like I couldn't get over the response. Like, and half of those audiences were people we didn't know, you know, were people that were just at the festival that wanted to see new musicals. Um, and I think we were, we were blown away by like the fact that people other than our friends and family were like really connecting with this show and connecting with the characters. Um, during this time we applied for Hannah was like, sent me this link being like, look, the Pleasance Theatre um, that go up to Fringe, they do this Charlie Hartle fund, which is like a fund where they support you taking the show to Edinburgh. Um, we'd spoken about the fact that we think 2024, we, we might try and take it to Fringe, but you know, we didn't know if we were going to be able to even do it then because of how expensive it is to take a show to Fringe. Um, anyway, Hannah replied, I kind of forgot about it. We came back with an email saying, you've been shortlisted. Great. What do we have to do? Uh, <laughs> come and uh, you have to come and do like a live tryout where we see the show. Luckily, it all worked out with the tryouts were while we were rehearsing for Vault. So I had our cast um, and we did the show. Once again, the audience like went mad for it. Like it was a 20 minute like mashup. So I just put like little snippets of the songs. We had a couple little like script moments. Um, and we won. Like we were honestly like blown away. We once again, the Pleasance doesn't really do a lot with musicals, so I don't think we we really did not expect to win. And that's not just saying it. We knew this was getting a good response, but we'd been turned down a lot by things, so didn't expect to win. Won. We were like, oh god, we're we're going to Fringe <laughs> this year, like 2023. At this point, we was less than six months. This was in March. We we was less than six months after we'd oh, wow. done our first workshop, and I was like oh wow we're gonna have to write this show um we had already we'd had our first draft script which we weren't happy with but we knew then we had four or five months before we were we were going um we applied for arts council for fringe obviously not for, you have to go a bit around the houses with it but um we didn't get it so it was a lot of crowdfunding a lot of fundraising um all sorts of stuff but we were going to make it happen um and the Pleasants were really great at supporting us through that time and we went up to Edinburgh and sold out the entire run and we we did it off of 10 days of rehearsal I think we kind of felt like once again we, we felt a bit impostery when we were first up at Fringe because we were expecting we we'd made all, our whole plan of like we'll be out flyering every day Lightness is we'll have maybe, I don't know, 30 people in the audience for the first week and then maybe we'll get a sold out show by like the last week. And we were sold out from the first day, every single day of that run. And I feel so bad to every Fringe show that goes up for the first year because we had the Fringe that everyone dreams of having. Um, but it also, it was so beautiful to realize the reason this show was doing well was because it was connecting with people the way we'd wanted it to you know like it the reason it um it worked was because people want to watch something about people being compassionate um now is the first time now that we're back from fringe um which has been manic uh that we are able to like look at okay so if we, what would be our idea? What do we need to do to make this show the best it can be? Because we haven't been able to do that. We've just moved step by step of what has been available to us. 
Whereas now we can say, what do we want to do? How can, can we find people that can help us facilitate that? Because we had the fringe run and because now we've got the reviews to support it, more people are interested. Um, you know, I think it was just a whole lot of hard work and a bit of luck and applying for everything. You know, when you've got nothing at your disposal, you just have to apply for every one of these schemes that's available. And there are a lot. We will be always be so appreciative to Arts Depot for being the first people to say yes, because there was no reason, really. We didn't have a lot of reason to say yes at that point. Um, and they gave us the rehearsal space for Fringe. They gave us the rehearsal space for Vault. Like they have continued to support us throughout and like anyone can jump in once it's successful and be like, I'm involved. But it's those first yeses and the people that back you that I think, are, you know, they make all the difference. I think you're spot on speaking from the venue side since <laughs> my day to day job is, is, is from the venue side for the other palace. I would absolutely always encourage people to reach out like to do your research figure out what venues are right for you and right for your show mm. absolutely go in with a really clear ask and uh, invitation and say this is where we are this is what we would really like from you um would you be open for a 15 minute chat that's I mean depending on what is on that person's plate i always hope that at least somebody's going to come back and, and be open for that chat or be open to support. I Absolutely. Think. And I think, I think it's wonderful. I used to live in North Finchley. Did you? So I know the art step of very I really well. love that area. It's wonderful. Like, it's now like home away from home for me. Yeah. And they do really great work. A lot of kids work, don't yeah, they? Yeah. A lot so of community it's really, work. It's, ex it's really exciting. And I think, you know, again, as, as on behalf of a venue, I think it's really important for venues to be able to support, you know, if a space is free, I'm always of the mind. Yeah. Let's put something in it, you know, rather exactly. help the show along if, you know, save some money on the rehearsal space or workshop space. Come and it's on. expensive. And do you know what's exactly. amazing? Like even like Arts Depot now, they have changed their artist residency scheme because of working with us. Amazing. They are now offering, um, you can have four weeks and you can spread it over two years. Um, so they have literally changed their artist residency scheme because they have looked at how we needed to work and been like, this is more beneficial to, than just like throwing money at people and being like, have a week when people don't really know what they're doing with it. Like they, it has been so collaborative, like our relationship with them and um, and they're really interested in working with more musicals because that, like you said, they've, they mainly work with kids stuff. They mainly work with community, but that's because that's where their audience has been so far. So I think also like any advice I would give is like, don't miss out on your national theaters as well, because, you know, everyone wants to be in London, but it's so saturated and, you know, your local theater has, has probably got a, a studio space or something that you know, will want to support local creatives, even if it's just that your parents still live there. <laughs> Whatever you're in is, I think that's the thing. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask and put yourself out there Definitely. because, yeah, you, of course, you know, nine out of 10 emails may go ignored, but that one email might be the door yeah. that, that opens the way to a five-star sold out run at the fringe. Eh? <laughs> it was a ludicrous five-star. It should have been four, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> take it and run. Yeah, take yeah. it and run. Well, this is absolutely amazing. It sounds like there's a really exciting, albeit probably vague, we can't really talk about it, future for Public the Musical. <laughs> and hopefully it will be gracing a stage again so I can take Alex with me this time. I can't wait. Making a Musical is produced and hosted by Alex Jackson and Kiki Stevenson for The Other Palace. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you're listening to help us share new British musical theatre with audiences all around the world. You can submit your new musical to be featured on the podcast at theotherpalace.co.uk. That's it from us. Join us next time for more Making Making a Musical, musical, the future future of British British musical musical theatre.